You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. I'd be listening to the mainstream media and just be left frustrated on how they covered these stories. They would completely ignore facts just to promote their own agenda. I said, man, I could do a better job than these fools. I should start my own show. So I did. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Freedom Strips. My name is Keaton Tucker. I'm going to be your host today. And my guest today is a uh, fairly frequent guest. Now, you've been on here th- three times. Is this your third one or is this your three fourth? Four, something like that. I think that, it yeah. might be your fourth. I don't know. Could be. Uh, but I've got Jason back on here. Um, I wanted to bring him on because he was texting me the other day and uh, he texted me a very simple question. He was like, hey, who's this Andrew Yang guy? <laughs> <laughs> Who is this? And uh, it kind of makes sense because Andrew Yang on the surface level is a very, he sounds like a very reasonable guy. He's obviously a very smart guy. He's an entrepreneur, tech entrepreneur. He's been involved in the um, uh, business industry in New York for a long time. So he comes across as a very smart, knowledgeable, and really with the cast of Democratic candidates that they have out there, one of the ones that isn't exactly just spouting crazy ideas every yeah. other sentence. He just seems like a reasonable guy, but he does have some interesting uh, positions he holds. So I, I figured we would just uh, break those down a little yeah, bit for sure. Yeah. What I, was, what was some of the things that like, what, what got Yang into your mind? Like, did you see, um, but I think mostly or? for me, it's, it's little clips, uh, little video bits on uh, social media for the most part, um, which is, I think, where most people end up getting their news at this point uh, in, uh, <laughs> in America, which is both good and uh, equally terrible. But uh, um, yeah, I just kept seeing his face popping, uh, popping up, and uh, more and more I was seeing a couple of particular folks that I'm friends with that are either 100% libertarian or have more libertarian leanings. Um, and even uh, another individual who's very, very left, who also had mentioned, you know, hey, this guy sounds like he might have some, you know, uh, some steam behind him and some decent ideas. So it kind of just got me thinking, okay, well, you know, if if a few people that I know and, you know, respect as people have, you know, somewhat similar opinions of at least that this guy isn't crazy, uh, let me look into him. And I just never really actually looked in. And then I just kept seeing more and more videos. And one in particular was his closing remarks from uh, remarks from one of the recent debates. And I think everything it's been a couple weeks since I watched it, but most, if not everything seemed pretty on point. And at, at the end of the video, I, all I could do was just kind of have a moment of silent clapping in my head. Yeah. Of, okay. This could be a, a worthwhile candidate, but I don't know anything about him other than the social media clips. And of course, we all know that that's how we all get into trouble is just right. paying attention to what social media sells us or advertising in general and not actually finding out. So coming to you and I'm uh, saying, <laughs> hey, buddy, uh, you're much more informed. So why don't you help me out here? Yeah, well, the thing about it's interesting that you said that because it is true that Andrew Yang is getting um, a lot of attention from both sides of the political aisle. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know people who are um, generally right leaning or uh, mostly on the right that have talked about Yang favorably. Right. I, I know people who are on the left that talk about Yang favorably. And yeah. um, even those in the middle with independents and some libertarians have expressed favorable 
views towards Yang. Okay. And I think most of that is driven not from, and, and we'll break down some of his policy positions and, and mainly his UPI, uh, UBI position. I don't think most of that is driven from his policy positions. It's mainly driven as like, Hey, he just seems like a reasonable guy. Cause they mm-hmm. have, you know, with the likes of Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, and Pete Buttigieg up there. It's like, I mean, Pete Buttigieg plays the establishment. Yeah. Presidential young presidential candidate pretty well. That's the, but that's the kind of feel that I've gotten from him as well. Yeah. Very much just, I mean, cookie cutter establishment mouthpiece mm-hmm. uh, essentially he's like a young guy who who's just any democratic uh democratic party position that you would think obama would have is yeah. what he has yeah that's the typical this is your next president kind of guy yeah that you would see exactly okay. and i think he's a very dangerous candidate well i think he's dangerous no, he's not dangerous but i think he has a very good chance of being a vice president okay um someone picking him for vice president okay just because of that all right Interesting. um but the thing about andrew yang is again like i was saying uh he just seems like a reasonable guy he's a nice guy he doesn't uh go up on stage and and talk about these crazy ideas of 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 uh you know letting all these illegal immigrants in and paying for their health care and, yeah. and giving them all of these benefits in the welfare state and then guaranteeing them a job and all these different things. Um, but his main position is going to be his UBI, uh, which is the universal basic income um, where Yang, he calls it his freedom dividend. It's a universal basic income program that would give every person in the country a thousand dollars a month. Um, and it would be funded in part uh, on by taxes on companies that would benefit mostly from automation. So okay. this is something that it is something that um, most people don't think about. But automation is a big reason why really these blue collar workers are voting for someone like Trump. Sure. Trump understood that the yeah. the worry of these blue collar workers like, hey, we're losing our jobs to machines and you know, mm-hmm. he, he wants to, to keep the industry, the coal industry going and all, all right. of these uh, manufacturing industries going Yeah, that require these label uh, labor. But the thing is, is those jobs are eventually going to go away due to yeah. automation. Yeah. And so the, people are trying to figure out solutions for this, but really in my mind, instead of, creating this universal basic income program where you give every person a thousand dollars a month to kind of, you know, give them a, uh, a boat to float in during the times where they're looking to transition from a job that they've had for 20 years into something else or, or to keep them afloat as they're, they're looking for another job to get. It's, it's part of the thing where creative destruction is a thing. Yeah. And it's always been a thing. Yeah. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, if, if we were dealing with this, the way we were dealing with it, uh, back in like the horse and carriage buggy days (laughs) and the government would not allow creative destruction, we'd be still running around in horse and buggies. Um, but the thing about the universal basic income is from my opinion, it just doesn't make sense. It's funded all through heavier taxes on companies and individuals. Okay. And, uh, I mean, if you want to give every person a thousand dollars a month, cut the income tax. 
Yeah. Because that takes half of everyone's income nearly every year. Yeah. So. I mean, my my the government already takes taxes as a baseline from my income. Then they take taxes whenever I buy anything, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, then my retirement plans are taxed. Anytime you move funds around with 401ks or any other types of uh, money market or things like that, there's usually taxes that are associated. I mean, there's so many innumerable taxes. Now there's going to, they're just adding another tax to give everybody a thousand dollars a month. That tells me, I mean, it's, it's an interesting way and thought to do it. But to me, that says, Okay, I mean, it's just kind of like raising the minimum wage. If you raise right. the minimum wage, even if we could somehow get the entire country on the same page instead of like West Coast is more expensive, right. East Coast is less expensive for different as as living, like living conditions. Expenses. Yeah, yeah. Even if we could get everybody on the same page, which you can't, but let's say for you know the experiment, you could even raising all the minimum wage to a quote livable wage, which. I don't necessarily want to have that argument because it's arbitrary. It's, it's very arbitrary. And I mean, you know, living in the Southeast, I feel like, you know, I lived on minimum wage easily when I was single and living on my own. And I had a, you know, an okay apartment, not anything to be proud of, but like minimum wage is enough if you're not wasting your money. And I know that's, you know, that's such a broad generalization because there's always circumstances that somebody can point to and say, yeah, but you X, Y, Z. So, right. But, it seems like another tax. I don't know. It doesn't seem, is that a tax for like across the board? Is that for everybody? No. So what it is, is it's a tax mainly on tech companies is what he wants to levy the tax on okay, and, so and companies benefiting from automation. So there's companies that okay. are, are mainly benefiting from automation, automation with machines mm-hmm. making their products. He'd levy a heavier tax on those companies. So it's taxing innovators for their innovation, which is the idea that we want to float everybody to a similar place so that innovation continues to happen. Although you're going to tax the people that are doing the innovation. Correct. And you are, you are, (laughs) (laughs) you are on the track of like saying, like comparing it to like something like the minimum wage, like raising the minimum wage. Well, what happens when you raise the wages? Right. You know, things get more expensive. Always. You always, companies do not pay taxes. Right. They pay taxes, but <laughs> let me clarify. You're right. <laughs> they pay taxes. Some, some don't, but no. <laughs> they pay taxes, but they offset those costs with right. higher, higher costs to their products. Exactly. So that's exactly what would happen here. These companies that he would levy the tax on would raise their costs and it would have a negative effect on the economy. Yeah. And not only that, but it would also, it's also creating more and more tax revenue going into the IRS. So let's, let's go ahead and dive into Yang's policies here. Okay. Uh, On the jobs and economy, he uh, obviously has his freedom dividend. We just talked about that. His UBI giving a thousand dollars per month to every American adult. Um, Yang supports extending are expanding the vocational and technological training for students and programs where the IRS would reimburse relocation expenses for people who have to find and um, move for new jobs. He also wants to, uh, this isn't on here, but he also wants to expand um, the uh, technical ability for the IRS to do like automated tax um like to automate your taxes. So <laughs> this is a vicious circle. <laughs> and it's just like, 
we're gonna we're gonna help this whole automation thing while also giving the IRS more capability to automate. So exactly. people at the IRS are going to lose their jobs. Exactly. Oh. But they'll get a thousand dollars a month when they lose it. So. Oh, so everything's okay. <laughs> yeah. Except they work in DC or wherever they work, which is way more expensive than where I live. So. Yes. Um, oh. On taxes, uh, Yang supports the United States introducing a 10% value added tax on big corporations and enacting a 0.1% tax on financial transactions and ending the carried interest investment loophole on capital gains. Oh, here this is. It wasn't on the previous section, but he also supports automatic income tax filing, modernizing the IRS to make it more efficient at processing taxes and making a tax and making tax day a federal holiday. <laughs> because tax day is something to be celebrated. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Okay. Uh, on healthcare, uh, Yang supports implementing, of course, the Medicare for all style of healthcare, which would um, uh, have Americans would receive publicly funded healthcare instead of relying on getting healthcare through their employers or through private um, insurance. On immigration, Yang supports a 18-year path to citizenship for undocumented immigrants without criminal records who have lived in the United States for long periods of time. Yang also wants to invest in new technology to help secure the U.S. southern border, expand funding for the Customs and Border Patrol, and reduce the backlog in the U.S. asylum and immigration courts. So this is interesting Mm -hmm. because this is kind of – this is sympathetic. I feel like people on the right – would be kind of sympathetic to this because yeah. he also wants to expand um, funding for customs and border patrol on the right. Southern border. It's very unusual for the left side. Yes. Um, I'm very much in favor of, um, I have no problem with it. these people talk about like open immigration and having these people come in. Mm-hmm. I have, I have a very sympathetic view towards that. I think we actually free, Free travel and free immigration is actually very good for the country. It's what made yeah. it's what's made the country so successful. Yeah. The problem with that is the giant welfare state that we have. Exactly. So that's why my view is like cut down on the welfare state, eliminate the welfare state, and mm-hmm. then have free immigration. Like pe- let people sure. travel across the border, no problem. I mean, have them maybe do it like a. Um, Ellis Island style where, you know, you check them for criminal records sure, or diseases yeah. and things like right, that. Right. Yeah. But, you have to have some form of, of check and balance to make sure that we're not just letting, which sounds funny to say it that way, but not just letting anybody into the country. Cause you know, that's where you can have unfortunate situations, but you know, I mean, you still have, you know, <laughs> passport checks and yeah. things like that, that in any sort of travel, like that still needs to be in place, but have the actual, immigration process let that be you know yeah you can you just have to apply for citizenship and do all those things that should happen anyway and then you know but then you're not living off the government just to come to our country and live for free or live you know not have to work very hard to live for free (laughs) right and i think and you know there is an argument to be made where i mean not everyone that's coming across the country is isn't working and just sitting on their butt. There's plenty of people sure. in middle America and of South America and the Southern States that are sitting on their butt and collecting welfare checks yeah. and not working. And they are American citizens. So, yeah. I mean, you do have immigrants outworking uh, American citizens today and mm-hmm. that's just, 
it is un- an unfortunate thing. So I think it's something to be rewarded with citizenship. And I think it should be, you should reward those that are coming here to work and to um, find a better future for their lives. So yeah. I think that this uh, stance on immigration is uh, someone that voted for Trump might be a little bit sympathetic to his view on immigration, yeah. which is a huge thing. Trump ran, yeah. I mean, immigration was his number one, right. Um, policy that he ran it was polarizing it was very by by definition like there was no middle ground between the two candidates or the two parties you know it was just either you wanted one or you wanted the other it was just which that's another lovely part of the two-party system in our country is there's no there's no room for grays there's only black or white right and it's even becoming more so today um, which you see on both sides just kind of digging into their uh political ideas yep um, on climate change, <laughs> here we go. Climate change. Yang supports U.S. government investment in cutting edge technologies that could slow down the pace of climate change, like carbon capture and geoengineering. Okay. He would end federal. He would end federal government subsidies and tax breaks for fossil fuel companies and tax carbon emissions. So I'm all for ending government subsidies yeah. and tax breaks for for companies like sure. that's that's another hand of the government getting into the yeah there should the market be tax breaks on anybody if there are taxes at all picking winners and losers that's what the government does and yep. that's why people have such a negative view towards quote unquote capitalism yeah when what the system today is not capitalism the right. government picks Crony and chooses capitalism. picks and chooses winners yep. just like this i mean the, the government subsidizes some companies and yeah. taxes others um Yang has also been criticized for promoting a fatalistic view that climate change destruction is inevitable, saying that the second democratic saying at the second democratic debate that the freedom dividend would help people move higher to higher ground to avoid flooding. I, I was I was watching this debate. I, I did a cover uh, of the debate on my show, but I didn't yeah. bring this up. But that was one of his things. Is he was like they were talking about climate change, and he was like. Yeah, it's probably already too late and flooding's going to happen. And so you're going to need to move to higher ground. And wow. what would make it easier than a thousand dollars a month to help you move to higher ground? <laughs> I mean, on the surface of it, you know, there's the vel- there's the validity of a statement like that of saying, hey, like, I'm not even telling you how to spend your money, which, right. it, you know, from a libertarian leaning, that's that's attractive that, okay, if this is going to happen, which I don't think that's the greatest idea, but if it's going to happen, well, at least you can't tell me how to use my own money that the government's giving back to me. Right. <laughs> Cause it's still my money to begin with. Cause you took it from me with taxes. Exactly. Me well, they can, uh, they can always take it back. And is the thing. Well, and people, people will always, this is also a downfall of the UBI system where if Yang gets in and implements this, it starts at a thousand dollars a month. But it is not going to end at a thousand dollars a month. Right. I was going to say that earlier. There's, there's always going to be. I mean, it's if it's a government program, it's going to continue. There's no end in sight. Yes, it's going to go to two, to five, to eight thousand dollars a month, and it's going to continue to climb, just like with anything. I mean, any government program does not stick to its original boundaries. Well, it always grows. What the government taxes, its citizenry, it will slowly and surely start grasping more of that percentage and using it for its own purposes, whatever they're, whether it's, you know, earmarks or just unmitigated government spending or whatever. But I mean, they're going to eventually start taxing higher percentages and not returning 
a similar amount to its citizenry. So if, you know, they just start as off they with a thousand. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's say if it's a thousand dollars to every adult American in the U S once a month and they tax every tech company, just to simplify it, every tech company, 10% of all their whatever, just to kind of make it super simple. I know yeah. it's not that simple. So if it starts at a thousand for every citizen and 10% tax on the tech companies, 10 years from then it could be, three thousand dollars to every citizen and i don't know 17 percent. i mean i i can't yeah. think of the math all, all, right off the top of my head but there's an incongruency there that you know the the percentage increase mm-hmm. is not accounting for all the money that's then going mm-hmm. back to the citizens so that the government's just going to swell again yes. and then we're right back where we started right and then the government nationalizes those industries exactly. and just takes full control of yes. the of those industries. And, yeah. And okay. uh, eventually you will still be taxed and the government will just uh, give you, you'll be essentially working for the government. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I think the day of uh, the, the initial idea of let's put this 10% or however much the tax is on tech companies and companies that benefit from automation, those days will be short lived in the, in the long history. If you're taking a long view of our, you know, both history and future history, you know, in the long view, I think it'll be a very short amount of time if this goes into, into effect that it was, oh yeah, it was just for those tech companies, the tax, it was just for those tech companies and companies that benefit from automation. Eventually it's going to be almost every kind of business and then possibly every kind of business and then also citizens themselves because, you know, well, remember this needs to be fair and taxes are fair. Mm -hmm. Remember? No, no, I don't remember that being (laughs) fair. So that's, uh, yeah. Okay. So that's, that's one big thing with UBI then that on the surface I didn't know about, but that's, there's a lot there. There is a lot there. Just like with the, like how they enacted the, um, the Patriot Act, right? Yeah. Right after the Iraq or Afghanistan war. And they enacted the Patriot Act to give the government the right to spy on its citizens. And everyone got behind it because that was a time right. where people were scared and the, yep. something had like, it's that okay had never because happened. already the terrorists have won and that's how we let them win. Right. We and we need to protect you. And so you need right. to give us the power to survey you. And, and yeah. so they've, they've uh, taken full advantage of that and, and taken yeah. it to beyond its limits yeah. in the Patriot Act today. And so I see no difference in something like the Patriot Act being abused with this being abused. Yeah. Um, on guns, uh, Andrew Yang's campaign website says he presents a detailed plan to create a new multi-tiered licensing system for firearms, similar to the different levels of automobile licenses. These would require universal background checks. Okay. It's a big no-no for me. Yeah. Um, simply because, I mean, one, universal background checks is eventually, that, that's like the number one stepping stone to confiscation sure. because you have to know who has guns and yeah. where the if guns are. If you don't are. have a list, you can't take them back. Right. Exactly. So that's what universal background checks are. And then as far as like comparing gun licenses to automobile licenses, yeah. the constitution doesn't guarantee you a right to an automobile. It guarantees right. you a right to defend yourself. So that's, that's a non-argument either. Yeah. Um, he would also introduce a federal weapons buyback program for those who would want to surrender their weapons. <laughs> <laughs> Very small uptake on that one, Yang. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Yang wants to create a uniform federal safety standard and incentive incentivize gun manufacturers to innovate new gun safety technology. 
I think that's fine. New gun safety technology, the manufacturers can innovate however they want. Um, but again, you're talking about the federal government getting it involved in business again and subsidizing companies right. to do something that they want them to do. Yep. Um, yeah. Did you see, this wasn't part of the, I think the New Zealand gun buyback after they had the Christchurch yeah. shooting, um, they enacted that gun buyback program. It had right. less than a 5% success yeah. rate. I saw something similar to that, uh, about that whole scenario around that same time. And I can't say I was surprised the, uh, the New Zealanders aside from those who may make headlines kind of in, um, in the more metropolitan areas, the majority of Kiwis, uh, to my understanding are pretty, I mean, they're, they're pretty pro rights. Like Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they would be having similar conversations that you and I are having here that, you know, yeah, they're, they're all for the good of the whole, but also don't tell me what is good for me. Let me make that decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that that was so, so hilarious because you saw, you would see headlines about, you know, the uh, number of guns that were yeah. bought back by New Zealand's yeah. government. And it was like, you know, several tens of thousands of guns that right. were bought back, but yeah. it wouldn't, which sounds it would, impressive. It sounds but... impressive on its face, but it would not list the like, right. No, you know, this percentage of guns that are out in New Zealand. Right. And so you would see those headlines with the tens of thousands of numbers of guns taken back, but they wouldn't list the actual percentage rate. And then you would actually go and dive into it and be like, Oh, it had less than a 5% success right. rate. Yeah. Cause everybody thinks, and you know, New Zealand is also marketed this way through both media and kind of, I think, incorrect uh perception but everybody thinks new zealand is this super teeny tiny speck of an island country and yes it is quite small comparative to almost every other island out there and especially continents but there's not nobody living there yeah (laughs) there's a lot of people and especially out in the bush there's a lot of people that live in the rural areas because that's what they prefer that's how that country has come to be what it is mm-hmm. and that's also why that country is not largely uh developed in its in its landscape which is you know i kind of think that's their their major cultural export is scenes in lord of the rings style movies <laughs> but that, there's a reason because most people yeah. don't they're, they're not building huge cities but there's so many people that live there yeah. yeah that's the tens of thousands that's a drop in the bucket compared to its its actual amount of citizens sure and then uh, I, I had no I couldn't help but to think like, so it had less than a 5% success rate in New Zealand. Right. Think of what the success rate it would have here. Yeah. And there in New Zealand, you know, they're a a fractious, you know, population just like we are here. Mm -hmm. And not everybody thinks one way or the other, but I think that, you know, (laughs) yeah, you'd obviously have an even harder time here because they're just, yeah, there's no way. No, not at all. Um, moving on to Yang's position on foreign policy. So actually his foreign policy, he hasn't explained too much about it in like the debates, but the, the things he said is fairly good. Um, Yang would embody a non-interventionist style of foreign policy saying on his campaign website that he would repeal the authorization for the use of military force, returning the power to declare war to Congress, okay. which is a big one. Yeah. Um, seeing as how Congress hasn't declared war since 1941. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
He also says that he would focus on strengthening America's relationships with its NATO allies and beef up the State Department's diplomacy efforts and outreach. I don't okay. know about boosting up NATO. NATO's... Yeah. Tr- the thing about Trump, what, what's interesting about Trump is he says crazy things, but every once in a while he'll say something and it'll be absolutely true, but yeah. he won't know that he's saying something right. smart. <laughs> Like yeah. when you say enough things that are crazy, eventually the, the, the numbers work out that a, you'll at some point say something sane. Yeah. You just don't realize it. <laughs> when he first, when he first got into office and he was talking about NATO and how he was threatening to, to leave NATO and yeah. because all these other countries weren't paying their, <laughs> their fair share right. as far as like the military, yeah. like, um, for the NATO military, he's like, why do we even have NATO? <laughs> He's like, they're far too expensive and the cold war is over. Right. The, the Soviet Russia has, has been long gone since the eighties and you're like, holy crap. Yeah. Wait, well, did- NATO was created to combat <laughs> Soviet Russia yeah. and the communist party. And I mean, that's been over for decades now. Yeah. Yep. So <laughs> and now all it's being used is a uh, it's constantly expanding further and further east and which is why Russia's so aggressive on the UK yeah. Ukraine front because the US has been heavily involved in Ukraine and yep. that's right on their border that's like as if they would uh they them and half the world were enacting policies in Mexico right. or something you know yep. enacting closer and closer to their border yeah of course we're going to get skittish we're not really sure what you're end game is yeah and i don't i don't care for russia i don't think their their leadership right. is very great but no. at the same time i mean we're, we're all we're doing is uh, we we have a a hammer a very very yeah. large hammer and all we can do is look for a nail right um but that is a kind of overview of yang's policies okay um did that kind of answer some of your yeah. questions on like who Yang is? I, I think so. He's a very personable guy. Like as far as like on the debates, although in the middle of all those crazy people, it's very easy to look like a rational, sane person. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I, one thing I did appreciate, it was that the very top of his uh, closing remarks on that last video that I watched of him, that he kind of opened up with, I'm asking myself the same question what am I still doing here? You know, yeah, like it right. just, you know, it kind of speaking to the audience, I'm sure you're all asking the same question. I am. How am I still on this stage? That immediately kind of endeared him to me. Mm-hmm. Um, just because he's, you know, one on a purely just, you know, kind of psychological, emotional level, he, he puts out a very good face and I don't mean that in the political, you know, like he looks like a Kennedy kind of way, but in yeah. the, like, he's actually comporting himself as a normal human being. Like he's letting his face show emotion in reactions. He, he lets himself kind of chuckle at his own self. You know I mean? He's kind of self disparaging, yes. which I would imagine I can only imagine is like a cardinal rule of politics is never be self-disparaging yeah you know whether you're on the campaign trail or in any form of office local or or higher you know like you always have to put out the the view that you're the best and you know he's actually seeming like oh okay yeah he 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 gets it like we're all kind of here with this and we're all witnessing the same craziness that is the the modern media circus um one thing and i didn't ask about this before um I would guess you would know is um, is the 
pin that he wears all over the place, is that an acronym or is he a proponent for math? Because <laughs> I, I see it like on most of his videos, he's got a little lapel pin or something similar that says math. And I don't know is like, okay, is he saying like, we need to get better in the STEM programs in our schools? Or is this an acronym for something? I, I don't actually know what that's yeah, about. Yeah, I know. I know he's very big on like universal education for like the kids and everything. He wants to enact that. But I know that um, that's kind of his thing is um, he says he's done the math or whatever okay and so it's more uh, of like even, his slogan kind of thing kind of okay from what i gather i may be completely wrong about this but i know that he has in the debates he's he's kind of done jokes at himself he's like i'm asian i'm good at math right he's like i i did that uh, was I also did. in the back of my mind of okay like this is a little on the nose is he doing it you know kind of self-awareness yes, sort of he, thing he has okay. and, and he's he's even done that in the debate and it got a you know a lot yeah in the democratic debate you know people i'm sure we're like kind of looking around like are we allowed okay to laugh to laugh yeah right <laughs> but yes, uh, it's okay to laugh when someone else makes the joke about themselves <laughs> yes so he's made that joke before and okay. um i think that's kind of what he's trying to do is, gotcha. is um get across that point of like hey you know i'm good at what i do and yeah i say that this is a good idea okay interesting um so yeah and andrew yang what i appreciate him probably the most um what i appreciate about him the most is he uh, he's not afraid to talk to the other side like he's done interviews okay. with um, Fox News. He's done interviews with Ben Shapiro, a, a lot of right-leaning guys. He's done interviews with libertarians. Okay. Um, he's not one of those Democrats that are like, I'm not talking to Fox News. Right. I'm not talking to any right-leaning yeah. organization or right-leaning person. Right. He's not afraid to discuss ideas. Probably my favorite interview actually is his interview with Ben Shapiro. Okay. Um, you know, my buddy Matt Bill always makes fun of me because I always trash on Ben Shapiro, but I actually enjoy some of what Ben Shapiro has to, uh, has to say. And I thought his interview with Andrew Yang was actually very good. Okay. is on the, um, Sunday special that Ben Shapiro does. And, and that, that was a great interview to show you how, um, genuine Yang is okay. to talk to the other side because he yeah. genuinely wants to talk about ideas. Cool. He's not, anti the anti right or anti left he's yeah. just kind of like i don't know he, he seems more of like an independent than a That's democrat what it sounds like i think with some of the like the ubi and a couple of the other things uh in and his, around his medicare there, for all position is very much in line with their party but yeah i think maybe that's why he's kind of at a certain level of like quote core you know kind of identifying as as democrat but yeah, that's kind of the stuff that I had seen on social and just hearing, you know, broad, um, you know, just kind of comments from people here and there led me to think that. And then now, you know, from with you going through, you know, a lot of his policies that it seems like he's way more, you know, close to center than he is yeah. one side or the other. He is, he very much is. And, and he's one of two candidates that have attacked the Democratic Party while on the debate stage. Okay. And that was him and Tulsi Gabbard have both uh, attacked the Democratic Party as okay. part of the problem as well. Yeah. Um, which is why I think the, the Democratic Party is afraid of both Yang and Gabbard. Yeah. Because 
you know, they can't have people attacking the party like that and, and shedding light on the problems yeah. that they have caused. And, um, they're afraid of an independent run from either one of these two. Sure. That could take votes away from a potential candidate to go against Trump and mm-hmm. bas- basically guarantee Trump 2020. Yeah. Um, so it's all very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, a new poll has come out that has Andrew Yang overtaking Pete Buttigieg as the fourth most favored candidate. Well, his name is way more pronounceable. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Andrew Yang has overtaken Pete Buttigieg, Buttigieg, uh, as the fourth most favorite wow. candidate, which is, okay. which is huge because Yang came into this thing as nobody knew him. Yeah. And that is a huge mountain to climb for, for someone who no one knows yeah. to get all the way up to the fourth most favorite candidate yeah. than it is for seemingly out of nowhere. You being a Senator and some people know your name. Some yeah. people don't. It's just like, how for old some, is he? Roughly mm. late thirties, early forties. I mean, I can find out right now. Let's see. Cause that's, that tells me even if he doesn't make the, you know, the long play for this election, um, cause being fourth is definitely no guarantee of making it much higher than that. But, um, man, if, if he, if he doesn't make it through this election season, then, I mean, if he stays in the public eye, that, uh, that could be, you know, he could actually make him, Make it, he could put himself in a in a good place for the next election. Yeah. That could be interesting. Especially since he seems to be one of, if not the youngest candidate out there that I've seen. He's forty four. Uh pretty Buttigieg, young politics. Okay. Buttigieg is the youngest. Okay. Um but he, he is fairly young. Okay. Um so he is forty four. Wow. Um Yeah, that's that's very young for a presidential candidate. I think Obama. I mean, aside might have from like Joe age. Biden, like Joe Biden would oh be his first day in office would be the oldest a president has ever right. been in office. Yeah. Uh, Bernie Sanders as well. Like they're both yeah. super old. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth Warren. They're all old. Yeah. Which old. I'm, you know, which I'm the not Democrats... foolish enough to say, you know, only young people have the right ideas. I mean, you know, the, the, the longer you're around, the more perspective you have. That's sure. definitely true. But, you know, at the same time, you know, every now and then it's not a bad idea to have the fresh air of a younger candidate. You know, I mean, I, I know, like I was saying a minute ago, I mean, Obama was fairly young when he was first elected. Yeah. Um, you know, comparatively, mm-hmm. um, I think, uh, Bill Clinton was as well, but, uh, aside from Kennedy was one of the, youngest. right. Well, and I meant more in like more recent right. presidencies, but yeah, like, you know, the, the typical age I would say is more, late fifties, mm-hmm. probably early sixties. At least that's the impression. Yeah. You know, of course we could run the numbers and I could definitely be wrong, but when you went, at least when I can't say you, but when I think of American politics on the big stage, quote unquote, the presidential stuff, it's the, the usual comment and, you know, idea that you hear from a lot of folks is yeah, it's all the old men. Mm-hmm. And now that, you know, more ladies are coming into politics too, or at, in the, in the, the eye of the media, at least, because mm-hmm. they've always been in politics. Um, you know, it's like all these old people <laughs> and that's the impression. Yeah. But now we're starting to see some more youthful candidates get the coverage. And I think that's a big difference Yeah, is, you know, he's like with Andrew Yang here. I mean, you know, 44, 
you know, in the political scape, that's actually pretty darn young to be making a play for president. Usually it doesn't start until another five, 10 years. So that uh, he might have some legs on him. That might yeah. be interesting. Uh, I mean, that's the thing that the Democrats always scream is it's like old white men are in right. control of the country. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, I think Dave Smith made this point before he was like, he said something along the lines of, you know, these people complain about old white men and that more women need to be in leadership roles in politics. And he's mm-hmm. like, well, it's all done by votes. Right. Right. So you guys are the one putting these people in there. Yeah. He's like, if you want more women, then women need to vote for women. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the women are the largest voting block in the country. Right. They could easily put a woman in there if yeah. they wanted to. Definitely. However, the woman that's at the greatest chance of becoming president is Elizabeth Warren, who pretended to be a Native American. Right. right. And, uh, and uh, the boy, that's another story is how far <laughs> Elizabeth Warren has fallen. Yeah. I really thought for, and you know, it's not out of the way yet, but she was surging and I thought for sure she was going to become the, the nominee. Yeah. But ever since she released her healthcare plan, mm-hmm. it, she has completely nosedived. Yeah. And uh, that, that's been quite the story for me to follow is just to see Elizabeth Warren just go down in flames the way she has. She did not do very well in the last debate. Um, Andrew Yang actually did really well in that last debate, um, which I think you're going to see him. I mean, he's already surging. He surged over Pete Buttigieg yeah. and um, come closer to, um, February, boy, you might see him challenging yeah. Elizabeth Warren, mm-hmm. which would be incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. Hmm. Um, well, anything else on Yang you want to talk about before we move on? I think that's a, that's a pretty good picture. I, I, I know much more about him now than I did yeah. coming in. So that's good. Definitely my second favorite of the democratic nominees yeah. Gabbard being my first and she still has the uh, bad ideas that Yang does on just about every other. Okay. Um, so they both policy. have the same bad ideas, but in general. <laughs> in general, well, she the re- only reason I give Gabbard the the leg up is because she's so good on the on the war and intervention oh, area. Yeah. Okay. Uh, speaking of war and intervention, um, probably the most underreported story of the last decade. I feel like. And the reason why it's been so underreported is because of the stupid uh, impeachment mess. Yeah. Which, I mean, yes, that's a big story. Like, Trump is the, the he's third... He's the third... <laughs> <laughs> he's the third president to ever be impeached. Like, yeah. that, that is a big story. So he's not the president anymore, right? Right. <laughs> that's you my favorite. So. That is my favorite thing about any time anybody talks about... Oh, man, Twitter Anybody was- that's, like, not actually, you know intelligent about these things. There was a frightening number of people that thought on yeah. Twitter that impeach Punch, the president. So Donald you want to Punch take was... him to court? No, I want him out of office. Okay. So you want to impeach the president, then have the rest of the process say, yes, he should no longer be impeachment. Doesn't mean anything because <laughs> it still has to be approved by a Republican oh, majority. Gosh. And that the, is currently there. Yes. And this is the thing is like, there was a frightening number of people that thought Trump was out of office because he got yep. impeached. Yep. No, he was impeached in the house. Right. And what the house has to do is send the articles of impeachment to the Senate, which 
funnily enough, yeah. they have not done. Yeah. So it was so urgent to impeach Donald Trump, mm-hmm. but it is not urgent enough to send the articles of impeachment to the right. Senate. Well, plus the, the people that are so vocal, you know, not in the political sphere, but in the cultural sphere, you know, because it's popular to hate whoever is the president. I don't care who's president. There's always going to be a very large segment of the population that loves to just hate whoever's there. Yes. Uh, but yeah, that they're, they are failing to address the the fact that, okay, so if, if, Donald Trump is no longer president. Let's see uh, who becomes president. Oh, that's right. The vice president becomes president after that. Who's the vice president again? Oh, yeah. That would be that hardcore Christian Mike Pence. Oh, shoot. That's right. Let's just yeah. leave Trump in for another few months. I guess. Yeah. There's a video yeah. circulating. There's a video circulating of um, this. This lady went to this pride parade or something like that mm-hmm. and was holding up a um, impeach Donald Trump. Okay. And um, she would go up to different people and they were like, she, she would ask them, do you want to impeach Donald Trump? They're like, yeah, get him out of office. He needs to go. And she's like, yeah, impeach Donald Trump. They're like, yeah. And she's like, yay, President Pence. And they go, <laughs> what? What? <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not the two of them being impeached. It's the one person yeah. that's at fault. <laughs> and what was so funny is because she was at a pride parade. Yeah. And, you know, with Mike Pence with his, with his yay, very... <laughs> that's great yeah she's go yay president pence and they go like no wait Wait, hold on what am i that's what happens yeah that's what happens mike pence goes into and not paying steps into the presidency economics and and national politics classes that we had in elementary and middle school yes But, but this impeachment mess has just been it's been dominating the news headlines and it's so i haven't been covering it much because i find it so honestly it's, it's so well it's exhausting but it's so boring yeah gosh it's it's so boring because it's such a it, it, they impeached him for abuse of power yeah like are you kidding me if you've been paying attention to the last 20 years right. think about all the impeachable acts that have been done in the last 20 years mm-hmm. and this phone call god yeah. it's just so stupid yeah, it's, it's so strange to me that this one and Again, I mean, you know me and your listeners, you know, if they've listened to the last, you know, few times I've been on that, you know, you guys know I'm not the most informed politically, but I do try to keep up. And obviously I'm friends with Keaton. So, you know, I, I stay pretty well informed, at least to a, a moderate degree. But it's out of all the things, even if we're just talking culturally, not even, you know, with the law or politically, but just culturally of all the things that he could be blamed for true or not. But of all the things that have been rumored or talked about of everything, it's that phone call. And yeah, I, you know, there's things about the phone call that are a little weird, but it's, that's, that's the thing. Oh, we got him on this. That's, that's the one. It's like, that's kind of almost not the least of our worries, but I mean, that's that I would have thought they would have latched onto any number of things prior to that. But I think that's because there was tangible evidence of some sort. Maybe they thought that that was the one way they could do it. I don't know. I feel like, I honestly feel like Nancy Pelosi was almost cornered by her party to pursue it. I agree because she didn't pursue it before. And she yeah. said that she wouldn't. And then cause it's after, not worthwhile. Yeah. And, anytime a president has been impeached, Nothing has happened. It's and granted, one the of the country, times, yeah. you know, Nixon resigned and that was a different era that, you know, if you're going to be accused of something, it's better to go out on your own terms, which, you know, okay, sure. Whatever one way or the other, but you know, it's a different era now, but yeah, like there's, 
That is the biggest thing. And I can't remember who said it. It might've been a comedian at some point, but it was within the last handful of years. And it was somebody on the public stage that, you know, they were talking about, you know, the current president and all these different things. And somebody yelled out, impeach him. And it got a good laugh from the crowd and a few, you know, hoots and hollers. And the, whoever the guy was, it kills me that I can't remember, but he was like, you know, yeah, we should totally do that. But you guys know, like, we have never successfully impeached a president in the sense of no president has ever been unseated. Right. With the exception, and I don't say this in a, you know, a condescending or a bad, you know, in a jerk way, but with the exception of Kennedy, that is the only president that has been unseated in a sense. And that depends on your thoughts on that. Right. You know, but there's, it just, it makes very little sense unless it's cut and dry and it's something so egregious and outlandish that the entire country agrees on it there's no, there's almost no point to impeachment right. and that does tell the history books that yes we stood up for something but at the end of the day the victor tells history god you stood up for something so stupid yeah and, but the thing is is like you have so much to get Donald Trump on and that's what they pursue it. It's just, mm-hmm. it's so boring and laughable. Yeah. And, and the fact that they're not sending the articles of impeachment to the Senate because they yeah. said they won't get a fair trial. Right. Yep. It's like a fair trial. The, the, the court <laughs> system doesn't declare a fair trial for the prosecutor. Right. It's the, it's for the accused. Right. So, I mean, if if the Republicans aren't going to go with your articles of impeachment and unseat him, then make a better case or impeach him for something that the Republicans can get on board for. Yeah. I don't know. Well, it's all stupid. Yeah. And it's it's definitely overshadowed everything else in the media, just as it just did on this podcast. So let's actually jump back. because yeah. <laughs> There is something that's that's come up that I actually don't know anything about. Oh, and as God. soon as you texted me about it, I knew this was going to be a great topic for the show. In addition to Yang. So I was like, okay, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let Keaton tell me all about this. And yeah. I'm just going to be educated here. So here we go. So this is the, uh, the story I want to talk about is the Afghanistan papers. So uh, is that like the dead sea scrolls? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. In a way. Yeah. No. Oh, okay. Maybe. No, I mean, they were they were uh, found by the Washington Post and pursued by the Washington Post. Essentially what it was is it was a report done by the Spectre, uh, Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, John Sopko. So in 2014, he launched a uh, what was called a Lessons Learned Project, where they interviewed over 600 people. with firsthand experience in the Afghanistan war. And this was people all the way at the top, like generals from people all the way down to the bottom who were um, boots on the ground in Afghanistan. Okay. And the Washington post got a hold of these, all of these interviews and published them uh, on December the 9th. Hmm. So what this was, this was a, um, the, they published a 2000 page report that showed the American public was, Uh, lied to and misled about the Afghanistan war. Mm -hmm. U.S. officials constantly said that they were making progress when they were not, and they knew that they weren't. Yeah. Um, Three successive administrations have been involved in these blatant lies about how the war was going and what progress was being made. The Bush administration, Obama administration, and now following into the Trump administration. It's absolutely incredible. I, I, 
encourage all of you to go take a look at the Washington um, Post report on the Afghanistan papers. Mm. That's what they did. They lied about um, they lied about casualty numbers. They lied about um, progress being made in the war. They lied about um, the reasoning why we were there in the first place. Yeah. Um, And that root of uncertainty and the reasoning for the war took root all the way up at the top where generals, they had interviews here where generals couldn't even understand the reasoning of why they were there. Yeah. They couldn't agree on a central plan to, um, uh, to win the war. They couldn't agree on what the war was for. Some wanted to create a democratic government in Afghanistan. Some wanted to create a more, um, friendly environment towards uh, rights and women's rights in Afghanistan. Some wanted Mm. to create it as a place where American influence could be used in the region against uh, Iran and everywhere else. Okay. And so this was across the board with the generals and and high, those high up in command. Um, A person identified only as a senior national security council official said, There was constant pressure from the Obama White House and Pentagon to produce figures to show the troop surge of 2009 to 2011 was working, despite hard evidence to the contrary. He said, quote, it was impossible to create good metrics. We tried using troop numbers, trained, violence levels, control of territory, and none of it painted an accurate picture. The senior National Security Council uh, official told government interviewers in 2016, wow. quote, the metrics were always manipulated for the duration of the war. <laughs> Even when casualty counts and other figures looked bad, the senior national security council official said the white house and Pentagon would spin them to the point of absurdity. Mm. <clears throat> Suicide bombings in Kabul were portrayed as a sign of the Taliban's desperation that the insurgents were too weak to engage in direct combat. Meanwhile, a rise in U.S. troop deaths was cited as proof that American forces were taking the fight to the enemy. Mm. I mean, this is this is something where um, it's difficult because, like, those that are that were always cynics of the war, yeah. kind of like saying that, like, you know, since the beginning that this war was a bad idea. This wasn't that they didn't have a clear plan to go in. And the thing about the Afghanistan war is, it was it was something that was almost justified at first because of the 9-11 attacks right and the taliban had obviously due to the intelligence at the time they said the taliban had uh been uh uh dug in into afghanistan which is the reason why they wanted to go in and 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 uh start the war there to and that's who they declared war against they didn't declare war against afghanistan they declared them Against the uh, the terrorist organization Al Qaeda, right. that that did right. it. That's why we've been all over creation fighting <clears throat> this so so called war because you can't fight one enemy when it's not one particular <laughs> place. Well, and as time has gone on, and I've, I've talked about this many times on my show about um, Ron Paul talks about blowback and how yeah. as the war has drawn on, your troop presence in an area. Um, doesn't help your cause because no. you, you see the people living there and like kids. So you take it as a, like a perspective of a kid gets his village blown up. Um, parents are killed from an airstrike and he sees American planes and American tanks there. And so you've just created 
six more insurgents from these kids yeah. with their family being killed. And so right. you, you take out a village with two leaders and 16 more pop up. Yeah. Right. And so that's blowback is because you're, you're creating more destruction towards yourself than mm-hmm. you're taking care of. Yep. Um, I thought it was be interesting to go over the, um, the estimated, um, losses in the war. So since 2001, an estimated 157,000 people have been killed in the war in Afghanistan. Hmm. <clears throat> 64,000 Afghan security forces, 43 Afghans, 43,000 Afghan civilians, 42,000 Taliban fighters and other insurgents, um, 3,800 U.S. contractors, 2,300 U.S. military personnel, um, 1,000 NATO and coalition troops, 400 humanitarian workers and 67 journalists and media workers. Good night. All of this for an area that has more Taliban than when we began the right. war in Afghanistan. Not to mention the rest of other, uh, Oh, and expanded into cells. Iraq. Well, and other named cells that have grown out of, you know, this entire conflict that now it's no longer just one, you know, one named, terrorist cell there's half a dozen or more now right it, it's such a uh mm. a damning document for the the entire war yeah. um and it is it's it is hard to read because you see from from donald rumsfeld to different military generals to troops on the ground you can read this washington post report and they have clips of these quotes from their interviews. Yeah. And it's hard to read because you have people like general, like Mike Flynn, a three-star general say, you know, you see the reports saying we're doing such a good job in the area. And he's like, if we're doing such a good job, why does it feel like we're losing? Yeah. And it's because they were losing yeah. and they've always been losing. Yeah. There's no way to win that. You can't win against ideology. No, you can't. And, and the thing about this is, I was actually telling this to my wife earlier. The, the whole thing, and this, I'll probably spend a whole episode on this. I need to do my notes on this, <clears throat> on the Middle East and with Osama bin Laden and everything. So Osama bin Laden, when he carried out the attacks on 9-11, he, he knew that it would provoke an attack. Of course. On that's him. The, that's the point. <laughs> he knew that the United States would respond. And the reason why he set up shop in Afghanistan and the reason why he provoked the United States the way he did is one, I mean, one of the uh, reasons he launched the attacks on 9-11 was because of troop presence in Saudi Arabia and and the um, sanctions levied against Iraq that right. killed tens of thousands of children. Mm-hmm. But he knew that if he if he leveraged his if he leveraged the United States into a war in Afghanistan then that would financially and, and financially weaken and just completely drain the American populace. Yeah. And the reason he knew that is because he fought in the war that Afghanistan fought with Soviet Russia. Mm. So at that time in the, in the uh, 60s and 70s, the Soviet Russia and the USSR, they were doing fairly well at the time or so reports showed. Sure. And America was getting just bogged down in Vietnam. It was an endless stream of money and U S military personnel for a war that 
accomplished virtually nothing. Yeah, it was the bucket with the hole in the bottom. Yes. And so America and the CIA said, we need Soviet Russia to have their own Vietnam or else this is going to be bad. So they enticed Russia to go into Afghanistan and start the war there. And the CIA trained um, the Mujahideen. Mm Mm-hmm. Osama bin Laden was part of the Mujahideen at the okay. time. And so they trained him mm. to fight a war in Afghanistan. And so Russia sent over a million men to Afghanistan. They accomplished nothing. They got bogged down. They spent billions and billions of dollars in Afghanistan and got nowhere. Yeah. They were just bogged down in this conflict with uh, the Mujahideen and these religious fighters. Mm. So Osama bin Laden used the same tactic yeah. that the CIA in America taught him right. to lead a superpower into, into an area Wow. To get into an unwinnable conflict. Yeah. And that's exactly what we've been doing for 20 years. And it's accomplished nothing. Yeah. And they've lied about the results in these papers. Oh. This, I mean, this is like uh, when they released the Pentagon Papers with the uh, yeah. Vietnam War. Yeah. All the lies that were spreading about the Vietnam War. And at that time, it was so celebrated about the whistleblowers. And then this story with the Afghan Afghanistan papers gets no coverage. Yeah. I've seen nobody on the mainstream media talk about this other than right. I think Tucker Carlson talked about it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why Tucker Carlson is the only one allowed to talk about things that actually matter, but <laughs> that's what it seems like. I cover him a lot, but he, he's right on a lot of things. I don't agree with him on everything, but he's a lot. Uh, he's right on a, a lot of the things about that matter. Hmm. But I thought it was so it was such an important thing that people should know if you haven't read the uh, Afghanistan papers yet. It's not you don't <laughs> the Washington Post released a report kind of summarizing it, okay. but it's a 2000 page um, unclassified declassified document that with yeah. all these thousands of interviews, they have them all available for you. If you wanted to dig through them, you can. Right. But just the summarization is. Is just. uh I mean, it's something that everyone needs to read. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah. Um, everyone should everyone should read them. This is essentially what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Everyone should read the Afghanistan papers. And please let people know that haven't listened. You know, maybe you may have some people like uh, Jason that hasn't even heard of them. Because yeah. of all this impeachment mess and all right. these other, the five second news cycle. Yeah. I think I happens. saw one blip on my radar that, you know, around early November and you said it was, it was, uh, dropped on the ninth. It was, uh, yeah, I think it was released on the, yeah, it was on the ninth. Yeah. I, I, not that I can remember back that far cause I've slept since then, but, uh, yeah, the, I do remember seeing maybe one or two, very small mentions and it was literally just a headline and it was kind of one of those pieces that was not much more than a headline anyway. Yeah. And you know, just kind of a, you know, RSS feed and news feed, whatever that was just mentioning it. And I mean, I haven't seen, I can't, I like thinking through just daily news and things like that. Uh, daily news podcasts that cover just kind of everything and then just the internet of news every day. I don't think I've seen much more mentioned than those one or two times no. very early on. And it's so sad because like this is this is one of the biggest stories 
in the last few decades. I mean, honestly, like this is a this is a war that's going on for nearly twenty years now. Yeah, this war is almost able to drink, <laughs> and and it's got it's got kids fighting in this war that are younger than the war yeah. itself, and <laughs> the reports of these people lying about the results and knowing that it's an unwinnable war and they've made no progress whatsoever in spinning these reports to say that we're actually doing well and when we're not. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it was one thing when the public outcry from the U S was against Vietnam because it was, it was just, there was no, no circumstance that we could quote win or at least just, you know, in a positive way, extricate ourselves like, cause we shouldn't have been there in the first place. And this is so very much the same different circumstances, but the same thing. And it's, there's, there is, you know, outcry about it in a certain sense, but nothing like it was in the Vietnam era. No, and it's not I, at all. I don't, I think it's because it comes down to it. The war on terror has been conflated with patriotism mm-hmm. so ubiquitously that if you if you're in a group of friends or family, I know like if I was at my house with my parents and I was to say something along the lines of, you know, yeah, we should not be in the Middle East. My parents, who I love and respect and they're um, they're both retired navy chiefs, like 100% love and respect for our military, but mm-hmm. I think, you know, there would probably be some side eyes or some negative comments if I were to say something like that, because, you know, and, and it's nothing against either, you know, my folks or any, anybody that has kind of been, you know, cowed isn't necessarily the right word, but it kind of been brought into that thinking of, you know, this is the, this is the engagement that we're in. And it's our patriotic duty to continue it until it's done. Well, when every single person involved recognizes that there is no logistical end to a conflict like this, yeah, it's it's just like Vietnam. And I'm I'm with the folks that are patriotic because Lord knows I love this country. Yeah. And I support our military. But <clears throat> I also think that, you know, we're we are so far in above our heads because we it's hard for me to say that we shouldn't have gone there in the first place because there had to be some kind of reaction to the attacks on 9/11 yes but right because things were sold with a false bill to begin with and the american public which will never ever be told in any you know, possible war or political scenario with another country. We're never told the full story, right? Especially on the onset, because what sells is this happened. We have to react. Yeah. Yes or no. That's, that's the media coverage. And that's what is put out in front of the public. It's just, it's so sad that, I mean, you know, it's, it's hard hearing those numbers. Yeah. Well, the thing is people that have, been killed 
mm-hmm. millions you displaced know. too. You know, it doesn't go yeah. through the the millions and millions of people that were displaced from their their homes and and were right. turned into refugees and had to move to different countries because yeah. of the war taking place in their right. in their country. Yeah, but the thing is, it's like almost nobody says that the the war going to war against Al Qaeda in Afghanistan wasn't a justifiable war. That was 100% a justifiable war for what happened on nine 11. Yeah. What most people that are against the war now are against is what the war turned into. Yes. That's what they're against. Yeah. And, And it is hard to talk to, to people who are, um, because you are absolutely right that the war on terror and really all of these wars, if you challenge any of the wars, then it's almost like you're challenging the military or you're challenging right. patriotism or like, yeah, you know, patriotism is such a bastardized term even yes. today because like who are you pledging allegiance to the government? Right. That's who you're pledging allegiance to. Yeah. You're screwed if you're pledging allegiance to a, to a government of any sort. Yeah. Even if it's one that you are a part of, you know, like, you know, you just, you think of anybody that is in the seat of power. If you're pledging allegiance, even to your own particular party that is in power at a given time, and you're the ones that are holding or handing out any matter of justice or whatever's happening, there's bound to be something that comes along and will in some respect destroy your faith in that system yeah because you can't you can't give your life over to that now having patriotism in the sense of standing up for your country and for the the rights held in that country exactly the way of life that we have been blessed with in this country uh, you know and i don't say blessed in the religious sense but just in a broad sense like yeah you know (laughs) <laughs> all of our founding documents flawed as they may be were pretty damn good. Yeah. And they got us they as were, far. <laughs> uh, they were a hell of a huh. lot better than a whole lot of other countries that, yeah. you know, yeah. In the history of the world, we're a baby of a country, but we've also done a lot better for ourselves in certain regards when others would not so well, but you know, we're also still here. Yeah. And, and we've done something that has never been done in the world before. Yeah. This with, experiment is still working. Yeah. Even though it's being challenged by the growing and growing government that we have, the largest government yeah. in the world and the largest government the world has ever seen in documented right. history. Which is most of the problem in our country that people, again, conflate patriotism with believing in the government. I'm not going to believe in anything that's so big that I can't wrap my head around the entire scope of it. Yeah. That's that. That makes no sense. No, mm. it's uh, it's a mess. But I just think. The, the Afghanistan paper, papers are such a important story yeah. that was completely blown over in the mainstream media. And it makes sense because they're in the, uh, the war propaganda. Yep. That's their whole business for sure is the mouthpiece of the government. Yep. But Jason, thank you for coming on my friend. We've yeah, reached man. our Absolutely. time limit, but, um, this was a lot of fun. Yeah. I appreciate you, uh, kind of shedding some light on, uh, one of the, uh, more, uh, publicized and popular presidential candidates. And obviously the, uh, Afghanistan papers. Those are both two things I didn't really have too much, uh, too much knowledge about today coming in. So that's awesome. I appreciate you. Yeah, no worries. Well, uh, everyone, thank you for listening. Uh, if you have, uh, not like this on Facebook, please do so. Um, we are located on Spotify, Apple podcasts, and everywhere else you can find podcasts. 
See you on the next episode, everybody. Peace.